All right. Good morning, church. I am so excited and, and thankful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning um, as we continue our series in the book of, of Psalms. And uh, today actually wraps it up, all right? Um, and I know many of you, uh, maybe you're excited about that. Maybe you're going to miss it. But guess what? The Word of God endures forever, and the Psalms are there to stay. You can visit them whenever you want, at any time. Just open your Bible. It's right in the middle. Uh, find it and you will have a, a bearing for your worship and your relationship with God. Um, I know that it is, uh, it's, it's been an encouragement to my family. Um, as, as Kelsey and I have had the opportunity to live and serve here with you for the last six years, we've doubled the size of our family, and so we have twice as many voices trying to memorize these verses together. We got a chance to, to do that on stage with the Summit Service a few weeks ago, and um, I know many of you were in here, but I encourage you to go back and watch that. It, it will... Um, give you a laugh and an encouragement all at the same time uh, with the whole crowd there. I want to I back up to start today and, and tell you a little bit of my story, um, which um, the, the pieces that I'm prepared to share with you today um, seem as far as the east is from the west from the encouragement of the testimony we heard from, from Quay today. Um, what a blessing that was. But I, I want to I share with you... Um, the, the not-so-exciting part of many testimonies, and, and, and a part of mine, and really the, the shadow of the truth that we see in the Scripture that we literally look at today. So I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I was in a very broken family. Um, my parents divorced when I was young, and I lived with my father, and so church just wasn't part of, of what we did around there. And so the three truths that we're looking at today is, is who is God? We're looking at what, what's our purpose? Like, what's he call us to actually do? And then what does it look like to actually live that out? What, what, what's the function of our lives? And for me, in those early years of uh, just before my exposure to church in um, probably seventh or eighth grade, let me answer those three questions for you. My understanding of God was this, was that I could just talk to nothing and I would get what I want. Okay, and so my first prayer, I distinctly remember this. I was walking um, down, we had a long gravel driveway across the railroad track to our house, and I remember praying, whatever you, you call praying, and I said, God, I just, I just want one of two things from you. You just have to give me one. You get to choose, God. I'll give you the option. But I want to either be able to fly, or I want to have just incredible power. Okay? It's pretty, re pretty reasonable, right? So that, that was my understanding of God. I can call on him, I'll give him an option, and, and I'll just get the things that I don't have. Okay, well, what was the purpose of my life? What was it that I wanted to do? What did I understand um, to be a human? What would be most fulfilling? And um, so my goals, here, here, was my, here was my goals just before I was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said I wanted two things. Right? It's always two things. I have a list of two, except for today's message is three. Um, I wanted, one of two, I wanted two things. I wanted, number one, to be alone, because my family was a wreck. I, I wanted to escape the chaos of, of humanity, right? So I thought, if I'm alone, I can figure this out. And the second thing that I wanted was I wanted to be rich, right? If I had some money and I didn't have the problems of other people, then I could have some things figured out, and I would have some peace and some purpose, some happiness in life, right? And so today, um, the psalm that we're looking at is Psalm chapter 148. And so if you'll open your Bibles there, something unique about Psalm 148 is that 
it really doesn't mention or make comment on many of the things we expect of the scriptures. It, it doesn't make any comments about salvation or this Messiah that's to come. It doesn't talk about sin. There's no, there's no mention of the brokenness of the world in this passage. It is focused on one thing. And that one thing, as we're going to see as we, as we work through this and as we look at some of the other testimony of Scripture, that one thing is what we have just finished doing through, through song, through, through, through music, through testimony, through the reading and response and memorization of Scripture. And that one thing is wrapped up in the opening line of Psalm 148. And that one line is, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, um, I think Hunter's explained to you as well, is, is a combination of two words. And we see it as the opening of the last five books of the book of Psalms, or last five chapters of the book of Psalms. And it is, it is a combination of two words that means praise Yahweh, or praise the Lord, which is the very next line, praise the Lord. And so it says, hallelujah, this is both a comment and a participation in worship, that when I say the words hallelujah, I'm worshiping, I'm, I'm saying Praise the Lord. I praise the Lord. But it also is an invitation and a community instruction that when you hear someone from the platform or lead you in the phrase hallelujah, they're worshiping, but they're also calling you to recognize that Yahweh is the Lord and He is to be praised and worshiped. Okay? And that is the focus of the whole psalm. The Psalm 148, and and, and many of them are close to it, are focused on an upward look of who God is. And this one specifically is looking at Him as Creator. Let's read Psalm 148, verse 1. It says, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. And so He invites us to praise Him. And as we go through this chapter, you're going to see um, that it really makes a nod back to Genesis 1 and the creation account that heavens were created, there was a separation between the heavens and the earth, and then as God created these spaces, He then began to fill them, right? But before we get into what He created and what that creation does, we have to look at the Creator Himself. If we're going to praise Yahweh, if we're going to hallelujah, we have to understand who it is that our worship is directed towards. And so, unlike my early understanding of what God was, I want us to look at Scripture and understand what it teaches us about who He is. And the Scriptures are a revelation of God to us so that He Himself can tell us who He is. So who is God? Who is this Yahweh? Hallelujah. It means praise Yahweh. And creation testifies to him in this way. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. It says, Since what can be known about God is evident among them. Okay, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who he is, there's evidence for it. There's a place to find it, and it is communicated to us. All right, let's continue reading. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Because God has shown it to them. If you know anything about Yahweh, if you know anything about His person and character, it's because He has revealed it to you. That He has brought His revelation to humanity and says, my people, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. Verse 20. For His invisible attributes, that is His eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what is made, and as a result, people are without excuse. We just heard a testimony of, of, from Charlotte about missions, about a trip to Zimbabwe, and there's another one coming up soon. Um, and, the, and the purpose is we've been sent by Christ to, to give testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but everyone on every place on the planet has witnessed his creation. And it says here in Romans 1 that if we ask the question, who is God, all we have to do is open our eyes and open our ears, and he will communicate and tell us. He says a couple of things about his character. It says that he is powerful and that he's divine, that his power is eternal and that his nature is divine, that he is God, and he's not just some God, he is the God who has eternal power over all things. We're going to look at a phrase that he reveals himself to the people, but what I want you to hear right here is that we can know him as the eternal, divine, and powerful creator that he is. We can know him. In the last uh, few weeks, um, we've been sorting through the, the paperwork and um, documents from our recent Ecuador mission trip, and um, one of the tasks that I've had is um, to interpret the writing of our doctors and other medical professionals. And so I won't name any names, but some of our doctors and medical professionals in the room, um, uh, I know that you have people that, that read your handwriting every day, but I don't. Um, it was a challenge, okay? There's abbreviations, and then there's different people right on the same document, and it just becomes very unclear, right? But the longer that I spend time reading it, I'm like, okay, I guess that thing that looks like an M is a Z or, or whatever in between. But unlike a doctor's handwriting, which is in a hurry, and right there's, there's an interpretation that takes place, and they're never quite sure what it says with confidence, God's creation has communicated and it is not illegible, but it is clear and plain that this is the God of the universe. That he's the one who's created us, and he is the one who has power and authority over all things. Let's continue thinking about what he says about himself. In Genesis, he's, he's the creator. He, he refers to himself as it's the Lord. This is the Yahweh that we see in Psalm 148. In Genesis chapter 17, it refers... He refers to himself when he reveals himself to Abraham, not as Yahweh, but as the God, the Lord Almighty. That he is Almighty, that he has all power, that he has all authority, and he has control of all things. You've heard the, you've heard the phrase, the, the title, the name of God, Shaddai. This is, this is what it's referencing when he, he goes to Abraham. He says, I am the Lord Almighty. The one that Romans 1 testifies that his creation points to his eternal power. We think of eternal as a length of time, but think about it as a, as, a, as a quantity, as a volume, that there is an eternal amount of power in the God that we could worship and has created us. Again, in Exodus chapter 6, when he goes to Moses and reveals himself and sends him back to the people of Israel, he is going to come as a rescuer. And this is, this, this is surprising. It isn't the Almighty that he reveals himself to the Egyptians but it's Yahweh. He says that he is the God. It's not just that he is powerful, right? His power is about to be displayed through the plagues and the rescue of his people, but it is Yahweh 
It is this name of God that he lifts up before his people. And so in the Testament of the, old, or the, the story of the Old Testament, we, we see those two as the primary titles and names of God, that he is Yahweh. This is his personal name. This is who he is. This is how his people are to know him. He is the one who is and who will be. This is Yahweh. But he's also almighty. He's not just personal, but he's powerful. He comes as a loving and personal God, but one who has power to judge and to bring authority over heaven and earth. Well, what else does Scripture tell us about this Yahweh? When we look at the testimony of Jesus in the book of Revelation, we see a nod back to this, this picture of Yahweh, which, which really gives some of that meaning interpretation of that he is and will be. And what do you see in Revelation in chapters 1 and in chapters 21 and 22, the beginning and the end, the name that is referred to God and, and, and of Christ is that he is the Alpha and the Omega, right? That he's the beginning and he's the end. He's the one who was before creation, right? It was his words that spoke all matter into existence, but he's also the one that's at the end. That when all the temporary things of this world pass away, there will be one thing that remains and it will be the person of Jesus Christ who has never changed. It will be the God it will be the Father. It will be Yahweh. And then we see the second one. We see Almighty. Throughout, I encourage you, take some time. Read through the book of Revelation. You don't need some crazy interpretations. You need to know that it is a testimony of, of who God is, right? It is a revelation. It is a revealing of what our God is like. You don't have to, to walk through life with Caleb's pre-Jesus understanding, right? There's so much more to it. And finally, what about the actual life of Jesus? What, what does it say about who God is? Jesus not only says who God is, but he lives it out in full display before his people. And we have testimony of that in the scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, listen to these words. You'll see how all of this is tied together. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Right? He revealed himself at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I go back to that first question. If we want to know what God is like, where do we look? We can look to creation, certainly. We will see an unexcusable communication of who he is. But Hebrews chapter 1 says that we look to his son. If you want to know what God is like, look to the person of Jesus. Whom God has appointed him heir of all things. And made the universe through him. Jesus is something new that has come to the scene. But this is Jesus the Son. Part of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Which were present before creation and participated in the creation of all that is. In verse 3, here's what I want you to hear. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact expression of, Jesus, of God's nature. And so though Psalm 147 uses one word, hallelujah, all of these things are encompassed. That He is Yahweh. He is the God who is with us and who is personal. And He is a God who has chosen to reveal and display Himself in many different ways, but ultimately in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. So, we know what, who God is, Right? We understand that. Let's continue reading. Go back to Psalm 1, chapter 148. 
We'll continue reading with verse, verses 2 through 12. It says, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly armies. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever, and He gave an order that will never pass away. And so, as we continue through, I told you there was a structure that was similar to um, that of Genesis chapter 1 of the creation account. And so in these first six verses, all of the focus is on the heavens, on the heavens above, and all of its space and contents, whether angels or the celestial bodies of the sun, moon, and stars, it is an instruction for them to praise Yahweh. And verse 6 gives us an understanding of, of how they do that. Do they sing worship songs? Not quite. Do they proclaim the name of Jesus? Not quite. It says that they praise for he commanded and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever and he gave an order that will never pass away. So how do the sun, moon, and stars, how do the angels carry out a worship in praise of God? They do their job that the creator has given them. They are in position permanently because the word of God has commanded so. What about our lives? What does that look like? How do we live out our purpose? How do we understand what it is we are to do? Here's, here's where we're focused. That we are to submit to our purpose right where we are. The place that you sit today, the job that you have, the family that you have, the friends that you have, the community that you live in, the neighborhood that you have been placed has been an intentional effort of the Lord. And let's remember who that Lord is. He's the one who's created the heavens and the earth. He is Yahweh, the almighty and powerful one. And he's put you right there. But what do we do while we're there? Our tendency is to allow something or someone other than the Lord to dictate what it should be. Well, my workplace is, 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 a, is a challenging place. Um, I, I'm limited in the, in, the, in the kinds of things I can do or say. Or the neighborhood that I live in, well... They're all my church friends, or maybe they're so far from God that uh, I, I don't know that I can give testimony, or these things will influence us. I, uh, I saw a, um, a, a peanut, a Charlie Brown um, comic recently, um, and so imagine this in your mind. You, you, know, you know the Peanuts cartoon. Um, you have Snoopy laying on his back on top of his doghouse, right? He's just laying there doing nothing. And then you have Lucy standing at the door of his house, and he, she's looking up, and she is, in caption, saying these words, I've always wondered why you decided to be a dog. <laughs> and he said, I was fooled by the job description. And though the comic is just making a, um, a tag at the reality of that job descriptions are often vague or indescriptive for a particular um, deceptive reason, the reality is, is that oftentimes when we think about our pursuit of Christ, our relationship with Jesus, we are sold a job description that doesn't quite fit the scriptures. We are sold a purpose that doesn't align with what the creator of heaven and earth has assigned to each of us. I know that this is the case for me. Um, I, I see faces and I, I know names right now 
of people who I saw pursue the Lord and that today are as far from Him as anyone. They, 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 they got a picture and they heard a story about what Jesus is like and what a Christian does and how they live in relationship to God that wasn't accurate. They, they, were, they were fooled by a job description that didn't align with the reality. How many people do you know that are in the same situation? Maybe you're in the same situation. Maybe you find yourself, you sit here in church and when you are asked, if, if someone were to walk in the door or catch you in the parking lot on the way out and they ask the question, well, why, why, why do you even go in that place? Why do, you, why, do you, why do you read the Bible? Why do you, why do you go and sing with a bunch of people? And are we ready to, to answer with a real, accurate, biblical picture of, of God's purpose for us? So what is that purpose? What are we to be doing? Let's look at the testimony of Scripture. First, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, Be transformed into the image of the Son, Jesus. You display the world that God is what God is like while you experience His presence. We, we get to do something that the sun, moon, and stars don't. God spoke, and His interaction with them was set for a permanence forever. But what did He do when He created man and woman? He fashioned them with His hands. He breathed life into them, and then He placed them where? In the garden just in the same way that he's placed us in the places that we have find ourselves. And what did he do once he placed them there? He gave them a job description. He instructed them on what the purpose of their life was. He said, you are to work it and to keep it. What is it? It is the garden. It's the place that he had sent them. And if you really dig into some of that language, um, there's a meaning that is that you're to work it and you're to worship. That while you carry out your activities, your purposes in the garden, who else is in the garden with you? It's Yahweh. It's the Creator. And so when they fall, when they ultimately eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they, their sin is revealed to them, what does it say? It says that God came and He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it seems out of place. We, we often refer to that, but that was a pretty negative time in the story. He came in the cool of the day to enjoy the presence of a walk in the garden with His created people, and they were hiding from Him. They had listened to another voice about their purpose. They had been sold a lie and read a job description that says what it really means to be human is to pursue God-likeness in your own strength and power. When the testimony of Romans 8, 29 says, be transformed into the image of His Son, that that is the guaranteed promise of what the Spirit of God is doing within our lives. We're made into His image. What is our purpose? Why do we come here? Because God is worthy. And that as I worship Him, as I call on His name, as I read His Word, as I memorize Scripture, as I sit and soak the teaching of His Word in, I become transformed as I submit to it. So as individuals, we're transformed into the image of Christ. Let that be our pursuit. But what about as a group? 
What do we do as a church? What is, what is our purpose? The sun, moon, and stars, they carry out their jobs. But what about us as the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says that we are the body of Christ and members of it. That you are no longer an individual. That you don't have rights to just your life excluded from all others. But you have been united through the baptism of the Spirit and of the, of the water to be united under one Lord, and that Lord is Jesus Christ. So what does the church, what does the church do? It displays God to the world, just like creation does. We saw that in Psalm 148. It says that He commanded and they were created. How was the church created? Under the command of its head, Christ. It was created. It was set in position forever and ever. Does the testimony of Scripture tell us that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? That it has been established for eternity and will become and is the bride of Christ. A bride that has been purchased by the blood of the groom, our Savior. So the question is, is our life oriented around this purpose? Does the testimony of Psalm 148, of the sun, the moon, and the stars, the angels in heaven, and as we'll see in the next few verses, the, the winds, the monsters of the ocean depths, the mountains, as they carry out their purpose by doing what God has instructed in the place that God has placed them, Will we do the same? Will we shine a light for the gospel? Will we live out a display of the, of the person of Jesus before those around us? When we go to work, when we go to shop, or we go to play, or we go to school, when we relate to our neighbors, to our, to our children, our extended family, customer service employees, coworkers, other drivers, Will we carry our purpose to be shaped into the image of Christ? Will we see those moments as an opportunity to submit to the work of the Spirit to become more like Jesus? Do the people that we interact with walk away from us having a stronger sense and an interaction with the person and the character and the nature of God? Do they witness the eternal power and divine nature of God's intervention in our lives? Our lives, our testimonies, are not to be told solely from a platform like this on a Sunday morning. But in every day, have your, have your co-workers heard of the power and divinity of Christ's interaction and intervention in your own life? That's our purpose. That's our goal. If we know who Yahweh is, it will determine what we do with our lives. And our lives are to display the God who's created it. Let's continue reading. Psalm 148, verse 13 and 14. It says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for His people, resulting in praise to all His faithful ones, to the Israelites, the people close to Him. And it closes with the same way it started. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The few verses that we skipped were a continued list of, um, of the realm of earth, which that's where we live, that's, that's us, and from the deepest depths, and I love that the scriptures describe it as sea monsters, some translations even say the, the sea dragons, 
From the deepest oceans, it jumps immediately in verse 8 to the lightning and hail and snow and cloud. So from the deepest oceans to the, the sky, the atmosphere above us. All those things are to praise the Lord. And then it goes into people. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together. What a great testimony we saw of that this morning as we had both singing and reading of the word and testimony and an instrument from every generation, young and old, male and female. We were living out the instruction of Psalm 148 that we've recognized who Yahweh is, that we've seen the testimony of His person in Jesus Christ, and we responded with worship. And it's everyone. There is no one excluded. There is no creature on the earth small enough. There is no, no person that is excluded from this instruction. We're to praise the Lord. We're to praise Yahweh for who He is. We're to carry out our purpose in representing and, and, and praising Him with our lives. But these last two verses, why? For his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people. And in the very last line before hallelujah, the people close to him. Did you know, as we, if we've talked about the Genesis story, that, that God's intention was never to be distant from his people? Have you thought about that? That... God never desired to have any distance. He never desired to have any separation. Think about the garden, right? That He placed them in a garden and He was there with them. His intention was to, to be close and near to them and walk with them throughout their lives as they carried out His purpose. But I think as we go through life, whether it's us ourselves or the people around us, the things of this world, the sin that is, is, is raging against us, the brokenness that we experience, it's easy, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to, to be convinced that that's not really true, that God really doesn't want to be close to us, or that we have no reason to deserve His nearness. And so the instruction is to enjoy the nearness of God today and every day. We run to Him, that though He's created and placed us, He has not left us in that place. He has gone with us. Listen to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If we're honest, in our lives, when there are people around us that are really weary and burdensome, we're tempted to create distance, right? <laughs> That it wears down on us. That we can't bear the burdens and the, and the weariness of others in our own strength. But right here Jesus says that who he is, he says, come to me. The ones that I prefer to be near are the ones that are weary and burdened so that I can show you who I really am. I'll display my character. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He doesn't just say, throw it on me. He says, come to me. And I will teach you. You can learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. If you look at the, the context of this specific passage, you will um, hopefully see what I see. It seems that Jesus has a little bit of, I call it righteous irritation when he reads these lines or when he, when he speaks these lines. He is, he, he's, he's calling out to people. He says that he, the, the generation that he's speaking to are like children in the streets. They, they try to play the song everybody likes, but nobody responds to it, right? And so there's a little bit of, of, of irritation. He's like, I'm trying so hard, I'm trying to show you what God is like, and he wants to be close to you, and yet you continue to reject him. He says, I've shown you miracle, I've shown you who I am, I've displayed the nature and the power of God, and yet you still reject me. But he says, that's fine. If you're weary and burdened, come to me. The heart of Christ is to extend a hand and invite those who are weary and burdened into his presence. We can enjoy the nearness of God today, regardless of what that relationship has looked like. Don't miss the invitation of Jesus' presence. There is no other person whom nearness releases burden and multiplies peace. God has instructed us to, to imitate him, um, to bear the burdens of one another, right? But the reality is, is in our own strength, right, it multiplies burdens because we have our own. It's only in that we depend on Christ, that we cast our burdens on him, that the burden is released and peace is multiplied. There's no other person who will do it so gently, right? Let's, let's, let's be honest, sometimes when, when someone calls or there's a need in our workplace or in our school or, or wherever we find ourselves, we, we hesitate for just a minute and we're like, can I handle this right now? Is this the time for this? But Jesus gently and perfectly and consistently will offer forgiveness and restoration if only we come to him. That's all that's required. There's no work ahead of time. There's no additional questions. There's no scheduling on the calendar. You come to him and you will find rest. And he is eagerly inviting each of us to do that. All while he sustains and maintains all of creation. It is no burden to him. We are to enjoy his presence as he enjoys the burden of, our provision, of his providing for us. Have you thought about that? That when we come and lay our burdens on him, that that brings joy to the heart of God. That his people are dependent on him. So we've looked at three things. Number one, we've looked at who Yahweh is. Who this God is. The creator of heaven and earth. The, the majesty. The one who has all authority and power. Who is and who was and who will be who's expressed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the exact expression of his nature. We've looked, at, we've looked at what we do. What's our purpose? We're to represent him. As he transforms us personally and unites us together as his church, we are to live out the display of his person and character as his church. And finally, it's an invitation to his presence, that we are to know him and to be near to him in all that we do in good and in bad, in burden and in celebration. To close, I want to read um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And I want to reread verses 13 and 14 from, from Psalm 148. And then I'm going to read the two of them laced together. I want you to hear how Psalm 148 points to the revelation of 
Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, For this reason God highly exalted him, referring to Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Psalm 148, verse 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people, resulting in praise to all his faithful ones, to the Israelites, the people close to him. Hallelujah. And now together, we're going to go back and forth, just hear how these two are connected, that the praise of Yahweh in the testimony of Psalm 148 is pointing and fulfilled in the person of Jesus, our Savior. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His majesty covers heaven and earth, and he has raised up a horn for his people to the Israelites, the people close to him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah to the glory of God the Father. The horn that was lifted up in Psalm 148 is a picture of strength. It's the horn of a bull after a victory. And that horn, that strength, that person, that is the person of Jesus Christ. The display of God in His nature. Life is short. We have, we've been commanded a purpose. We are to live transformed into His image. And that purpose begins with the restoration of our relationship with God. He didn't intend for us to be far from Him or distant. He desired a close walk in relationship. And so today, if you are like me and your understanding of God is disconnected from the Scriptures, that you think that He is just, he's just out there and we can call on Him and give Him options for what we want in life, let me invite you to consider what we've looked at today. That He's the Creator of the heavens and the earth, that his son is the exact expression of his nature. And he is, he's God. And he's powerful. And even in that power, he desires nearness to us and he offers forgiveness for our rebellion against him. When we seek to do things our own way, he has willingly laid down his life on our behalf to pay the price for our forgiveness. And he has taken our death on himself and offered it in exchange for his. The righteous Christ for us, the unrighteous. The innocent Son of God for the guilty. Are you far from God? Let, let the ministry of Jesus invite you to repent today and entrust him. Entrust your life to him. That God might display himself through you. Your life is not meant to display your kingdom but his and so it is an invitation to come and to lay your life before him and to know him and his nearness and the power that transforms just as we've heard in testimony today. Church, let's be Christ to the world around us. Let's live out our purpose in the place that he sent us. That all would know and that every knee would bow here and now before he comes again. Let me pray. Father in heaven,
God, you are the God of heaven. God, let our worship, God, let our lives, God, let all that we do, God, let all that we say, let all that we think and act upon give testimony to that truth. God, would you transform us into your image? God, for for those of us who are far from you, God, would we hear your voice? God, an invitation to come, to lay our lives before you and to entrust our lives to the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has authority and power over all things. And God, as your your children, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as your body, as your bride, God, purify us, transform us into your image and use us as a testimony to all those around us. God, that you are Yahweh. God, that you are the king of heaven and earth and that your transforming power, God, has has transformed us. We give you this time. God, we give you our lives for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you would stand as we sing, if we can pray for you, if there's a way that we can, can introduce you to this saving Jesus, please come forward.